But I don't feel like my life is any different than someone else's because God's Word says that He knows our days before the foundation of the earth. And so I want to live today as if it is my last, just like everyone else should be living their life today as if it is their last. And if it's not, then what a blessing that we get tomorrow. Julie Manning and her husband John join us today on Focus on the Family. Julie is a mom and a pediatric nurse practitioner, and uh, she and John have three boys, Noah, Hunter, and Joshua. And there's a riveting story here that Julie has captured in her book, My Heart, Every Beat Surrendered to Our Unchanging God. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. Yeah, John and Julie, welcome to Focus. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. We're going to unfold this story, obviously, but when we look at you coming together as a couple, describe who you were, what God was doing in your lives. You went to Texas A&M. We did. You met there, right? We did. We were friends then. John was quite goofy at the time, and <laughs> I... Yeah. Why did you uh, struggle to get that out? <laughs> a little bit of a class clown. Okay. And, and I was that studious girl that lived more hours in the library than hanging out socially and so somehow john you convinced julie that right. you were the one i'm not <laughs> even gonna unfold that story it just worked out let's call it a miracle That's yeah. right. <laughs> and you both said yes and you got married and then um, you had a miscarriage mm -hmm. um put that together for me what what was happening in your mind and heart the loss of a baby and then becoming pregnant again the fears of that describe that mm -hmm. for our listeners i think that when we became pregnant the first time, you know, as a woman, you just kind of jump to motherhood. You get the positive pregnancy test. You go see the heartbeat for the first time, and you're, you're like, I'm going to be a mom. And you just, your brain goes there, your heart goes there, your capacity to love just grows. And, and then with the loss of our child, it was really the first time that John and I mourned together over uh -huh. something and it allowed us to journey through relying on the Lord together uh -huh. in such a beautiful way that I think suffering sometimes can either pull us apart or draw us together and God really used that scenario and that circumstance to draw us together in our marriage rely on Jesus rely on his word for hope and for comfort um, and it, it obviously, because you tried again with Hunter, complicated pregnancy, it sounded like. You had a C-section. Uh, tell us about that. Yes. So when Hunter was born, we had a, a scheduled repeat C-section because our first child was born via C-section. And so our doctor wanted to, you know, do a surgery to get Hunter out. And from that perspective, we were fine with that decision. And so... You know, when we woke up that morning to go meet Hunter for the first time, we were kind of like, we've been there, done that. Like, we know what to expect. We know how it's going to go. And fortunately or unfortunately, it went very differently than we had expected it would go. Um, Describe how. Well, when they had prepped me for the surgery and then John came in and was standing by my side, but in the middle of, you know, Hunter being taken out and delivered, just everything in the operating room went fuzzy for me. Um, I felt lightheaded. I felt dizzy. I felt as if the physician and the surgical staff and the anesthesiologist, all of their voices were just blurry and 
kind of echoing in the in right. the background. I couldn't really comprehend exactly. Out. So what baby was fine, but mom baby was, was not. fine. Um, and so because I had worked in an ICU for so many years, my first instinct is to look at the cardiac monitor when I don't feel very well. Cause I'm like, what's going on? And I looked over and every other heartbeat was an irregular heartbeat. And then I went into a period of where I had multiple irregular heartbeats all in a row. And with my training, I was like, that's a rhythm. That's not a good heart rhythm. And they might start CPR on me and then so all this I, is I black out flashing through your mind mm-hmm. as you're uh, on the bed just giving yes birth uh, yes. in essence through C-section to Hunter mm-hmm. but as you're going out this is your thought process mm-hmm. and That's the my inputs thought coming process. in John where were you at that time were you in the delivery room and well when they do a C-section uh you know, I don't have to coach breathing or anything like that, but they, I'm in a waiting room and then they'll come get me. I like to say as I, as they're rounding third. Right. So just as Hunter is going to, uh, be born and as they're kind of wrapping up the surgery, they'll bring me in so I can be there and be present. Um, so as I walk in, I don't have Julie's training, so I'm not looking at the cardiac monitor. I'm not really picking up on anything other than kind of squeezing Julie's hand and kind of seeing the action as Hunter is coming out, be just being excited, being in a place of excitement and anticipation. Right. Um, I didn't necessarily understand kind of the gravity of the situation or what was going on. So you're still not totally aware of what's going on. No, your, I mean, the anesthesiologist uh, understood yeah. what was going on because they're trying to track everything going on with Julie. And and the end of it was is that they didn't need to start CPR on me that day. My heart spontaneously came back into an, a regularly irregular rhythm, <laughs> to say that. Um, and then the next thing I know is that I feel a lot of shoving on my shoulders and I hear the anesthesiologist going, are you okay? I need you to open your eyes. I need you to open your eyes. And I didn't want to open up my eyes. And so that went on in the midst of John being called over to, you know, meet Hunter, care for Hunter and all of that. And so I'm not sure what medically they did for me that day other than kind of take a deep breath that it didn't progress to anything more serious. Mm. So, Julie, this is the red flag. I mean, obviously, they noticed something was wrong with your heart. This is the mm-hmm. first time in your life that you knew. Being a mm-hmm. marathon runner, in shape, through college, your career, um, now something's going to be different. And you begin to follow up with the cardiologist. Mm-hmm. What is he t- or she telling you at that point? Um, so the day of Hunter's birth, they did a lot of testing that day, and they ended up saying, you know what, I bet this was just the stress of the surgery your heart from all the other testing that they did, your heart looks relatively normal. So we're just going to allow you to keep your baby in your room with you and we'll see you up for follow-up six weeks later. And so over that ensuing six weeks when, you know, we bring Hunter home from the hospital, we're getting used to being parents of two young children under the age of two. And you're recovering from C-section, recovering from a C-section and, you know, trying to you know, get back into some sort of shape after being pregnant. And I just started having symptoms of feeling short of breath. I would get lightheaded when I took a warm shower. And, you know, (laughs) it's kind of bad being a nurse because you you know just enough information, but you don't know what you don't know. It's like going to WebMD. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Let's just Google my symptoms. It'd be perfect. Um, (laughs) And so I thought, oh, I'm just dehydrated. I'm just tired. I'm out of shape. Um, these, and so I wasn't taking my symptoms seriously. 
But then I follow up with my cardiologist six weeks later, and we do some more testing. They did an ultrasound of my heart. And that day was the day that I found out that my heart was actually failing, and it was only functioning at half of normal. Hmm. Um, How did you process that? I mean, that's a big diagnosis. That's uh, life-threatening, obviously. Mm -hmm. And how old are you at this point now? You're early 30s. 32. Yeah. So how are you processing that with John? John, how are you processing it? And where's God in all of this as you pray? Mm -hmm. Lord, what's happening? I think time stood still. Um, A lot of denial at first, like this can't be happening. This can't be me. I'm a go-getter. I'm healthy. I've eat right. I exercise. You know, I'm doing all of the right things per the worldly standards. Like this seems so odd and like, why, why is this happening? And so I know that time stood still that day, um, that we learned it. And then I kind of flipped over into medical mode and was like, okay, these are the steps we need to take. She called in medicine for me. I started my medicine, did regular follow-ups. And I think I disassociated myself from processing things emotionally to just intellectually trying to get through those first few months of what does life look like now. Hmm. And so I, not that I distanced myself from the Lord in it all, but it was, I kind of was like, Lord, I need you right now. I can't do this on my own. Um, It was very humbling for me being like the type A go-getter, achiever personality to being like, wow, everything, like feel like my life kind of got turned upside down with yeah. all of this. And I, I'm sure all that upheaval, of course, you have Noah, your firstborn. I, at this point, you're having to teach him, I think, by the age of two, how to dial 911, just mm-hmm. in case, John, I guess you're out of the house and yeah. you're having some kind of cardiac issue. Mm-hmm. I think it's that, the, the for the listener and for us, too, it's that question of how to live with this day in and day out, that you don't know... Mm-hmm. You have no certainty of your next heartbeat. Mm-hmm. I mean, that in itself is stressful Yes, and ends up creating a lot of concern. How did you just manage that day to day that you weren't sure mm-hmm. if you're going to be alive? You know, there was a, several months of my life where I asked a lot of what if questions. You know, what if I'm pushing the jogging stroller and I collapse on the road and by, by myself or what if it happens while I'm driving the car? You know, when John would leave for work in the morning, is this the last time I'm going to kiss him goodbye? So I lived in these what-if sad scenarios that were actually reality. They weren't like, you know, several weeks after I found out that I was in heart failure, I also went in for a procedure and learned that I was at risk for a sudden cardiac death, and they actually had to shock me several times to bring me back. And so they put a defibrillator in me. So these what if scenarios were not unrealistic questions to ask, but it certainly caused my brain to spiral down into a state of depression and sadness and darkness. And I didn't know how to climb my way back out of that. And that's somewhat normal for heart patients, particularly to be in that spot where it becomes overwhelming. How did you manage that with your faith? What practical ways did God intervene for you to give you confidence, to give you a sense of hope for tomorrow, even though you have these physical issues that you're dealing with? Well, one, he used my husband. 
John would bathe me in the Word, and so John would pray, and John would speak God's truth over me, and the Lord really used our community as well. Mm. So whether it was, you know, receiving Scripture on my phone via email or notes written left on our doorstep, God pursued after me. I don't want to say that I pursued after God in the midst of it, but God really pursued after Mm. me. And I couldn't escape his word because his word kept coming at me from all different directions, whether it was through John or our community and our friends and our church. Um, I'm kind of a glass is one eighth full type of guy. <laughs> and uh, and so since I I maybe didn't understand the, I want to say the significance, it wasn't completely like ignorance is bliss, but I tried to avoid thinking through those worst case scenarios for Julian Hart. I just believed that God was going to heal her. I believed that that it was going to be okay, regardless of the outcome. Yeah, let me ask Julie, uh, you know, because again, people who are walking through this kind of thing, um, and I really want to hear from you as the wife, mm-hmm. did John manage that part well, or did it concern you, or did you feel like he doesn't grasp always what's going on? What things did you hide from John because you were afraid? <laughs> I think I hid how deep in the darkness I really was from him because I love him so much and I, you know, desire his approval and I desire to please him from just a standpoint of our relationship. Like one of my faults is I just don't want to let him down. Like that's devastating for me if I let him down. So that's one of my faults. But in this case, so let me press you a little Mm -hmm. bit because I appreciate the heart of that. But, I mean, these are things that are well beyond your control. Mm-hmm. It's not like you created a, a damaged heart. Sure. So how, how did you reconcile that as you're trying to be that incredible spouse to John? But still, it's not your fault. Did you come yeah. to that conclusion that, okay, well, I, yeah. I can't control it? I Yes, absolutely. And I think the turning point for us and me allowing him in was going, <laughs> we had tickets to go to an A&M football game and we brought our boys. <laughs> it all comes back Which to you that. always have to accept. <laughs> but, but we were we were on a road trip so we had to drive the two hours to the game and in the car like we actually had uninterrupted two hours of time to talk hmm. and that's just that day that I just kind of opened up opened up and let everything out and um I mean, I don't know how you felt. Would, that would you describe that just so I understand it? Would you describe that as you allowed John to see the things that you feared, mm-hmm. the things that concerned you, and then John? Right. The next obvious question is, how did you feel, and how did you respond? Did it scare you? I wouldn't say it scared me because by the time that happened, she it was almost like this is how I felt. This is where I was. That wasn't where she was right then. And so in some ways, Julie and I have talked about this, uh, I didn't get a chance in, to encourage her in certain ways, knowing just what, what, where was her unbelief, what, how was her hope failing, what were the fears and the lies that she was believing. Um, we've been studying our church, the book of First Peter, and it talks about husbands living with their wives in an understanding way or according to knowledge. And so... What are the ways that I can better understand Julie, um, her physical condition, but then also emotionally, where is she at? What is, how is God t- 
teaching her? Where is she learning? How can I encourage her, even press into her, um, and challenge her to put her hope fully in God's grace? Well, and that, that's a good word because, again, eventually you know, your heart does fail. Describe mm-hmm. that day. How old are the boys? Uh, what was the circumstances? What took place? Mm-hmm. So I was doing part of this program. It was a development discipleship type program at church. And one of our assignments was to kind of share our testimony and share what God has been doing in our lives over the last year. And so (laughs) fast forward, you know, 15 months. So now Hunter is 15 months old. Noah had just turned three. And it was my opportunity to share what God had been teaching me over the last year of like, the Lord bringing me out of this place of depression and how God was working in our marriage and bringing unity and um, just togetherness in our marriage and encouragement. And and so this Sunday morning, I shared just all of this, just kind of laid it all out there, was bare, was vulnerable um, with these group of ladies. So we finished that morning and John had to leave to go to our other church campus for some responsibilities. And so I went to go pick up the boys from the nursery to just take them home after that service. And while I was walking to get Noah, I started feeling pressure in my neck and in my chest and was like, oh, this feels tight. This feels weird. So I started to try to breathe more calmly. And I went to go pick up Noah and I signed him out and you know, when you have a three-year-old, they don't ever, like, stay next to your side. They always just <laughs> run off and are, you know, you have to, like, chase after them to go get them. And that day, Noah held my hand. It was so uncharacteristic all the way down the hallway and around the corner to another hallway to pick up Hunter. And by the time I got to Hunter's room, I just did not feel well at all to the point that I asked the nursery folks, I was like, can you help me get them buckled in the car seats? Because I don't think I can oh, wow. but get I'm them drive. buckled. <laughs> but I'm, I'm okay. I can drive home. It's fine. Oh, yeah. Um, wow. But by the time, I mean, I remember signing my first name and then halfway through signing my last name to sign him out. I was like, no, I'm going to collapse the ground. And I pointed. <laughs> it's so typical of Julie. Um, I pointed. I was like, you need to call 911 and you need to call my husband. And I handed them my cell phone and then I dropped to the floor. Oh, my goodness. Um, they must have panicked, too. What? You know, that, that's unusual. That, that and in front of like 25 <laughs> toddlers and yeah. my own children. Like that was mm. one of my worst fears is collapsing in front of my kids. Oh. And so, um, but that day I had suffered a heart attack. And so 911 was called and EMS came and got me and rushed me to the hospital and We had some sweet friends that, you know, obviously all the kids from that room got ushered to a different room and they, some dear friends took our kids for the day. And anyway, so we spent the next 24 hours at the hospital. I mean, it's interesting and overwhelming emotionally to think about a young couple with kids that are now 10, 8, and 3. You adopted Mm -hmm. your third because being pregnant again would be too much stress, I think is Mm -hmm. the story unfolding. And again, people need to get a copy of the book, uh, My Heart, to get more of the details. But Julie, in that regard, give us an update. How are you doing today? And then I want to just close with where people are at generally. It may not be their heart that's suffering, but they're suffering in some area. Mm. And I want to talk about that to give yeah. people hope and the hope that you have today. Mm, sure. So how are you two doing? Uh, how is your heart? How are the boys? What's every day like? Um, my heart is my physical heart. Um, I'm technically back in the heart failure range again. So over the years, I've 
you know, my heart has improved some, and then it's dropped a little bit, and then it's improved some. And um, this past May, I found out that I'm technically in that heart failure range again. And so it's just another one of those opening your hands and surrendering, going, okay, God, you have my life. Every, you know, I can't go down into a dark place just because my heart, physical heart, increases or decreases based on the year that I get mm. tested. Yeah. And um, I just, my soul needs to be rooted in who God is and what his word says about me and the fact that this place here on earth is not our forever home. Yeah. Like our hope is in the eternal life, not just the life that we've been given here on earth. So yeah. um, physically, that's kind of where I am again. And and that's okay. Like we have we come at peace knowing that whatever whatever circumstances befalls us, we're going to be okay because of Jesus. We're going to be okay because of Christ. Absolutely. But at times in our humanness and mm-hmm. in this world, this temporary life that we live, I love somebody called it the pre-life, mm-hmm. that this is That's the good. pre-life. I like that. Yeah. It is, isn't it? That the next life to come is actually life eternal forever. Mm-hmm. This is just, uh, you know, the first quarter. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But when you look at it that way, Julie, not many people, especially young people like the two of you with young children, have to face this kind of mortality. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's hard. It's even hard to sit and talk with you because you're young and you, you know, we talk and we believe in that idea that you've got lots of time, Mm -hmm. but you have to face the reality. You don't know how much time you have. It becomes real every day for you. It does, but I don't feel like my life is any different than someone else's because God's word says that he knows our days before the foundation of the earth. And so I want to live today as if it is my last, Mm -hmm. just like everyone else should be living their life today as if it is their last. And if it's not, then what a blessing that we get tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Um, And even more a blessing if it is our last day that we'll actually get to see Jesus face to face. I mean, that is the key. And that's really what I knew uh, would come from you. And I think it should be an encouragement to all of you, no matter what you're walking through, that God is with you. It's so easy in your circumstances to cast off your relationship with the Lord as if he's abandoned you. He has not. And what I hear you say and what I read what you wrote, it's trust in God no matter your circumstances. Love the Lord and count each day a blessing. And in your case, literally each breath. I so appreciate you being here and sharing your story and that vulnerability that it takes to say, I'm broken. And the reality is we're all broken. In your case, you see it physically. You can see the printout as a nurse. (laughs) You know what that looks like. But the reality is all of humanity is suffering. And um, I'd like to pray for you. Can I do that? Normally we we have the guests pray, but I want to pray for you too. (laughs) Let's do that. Father, we do take this moment at the end of the program, Lord, to pray for Julie and for her physical well-being. Lord, your hand can re-knit that heart inside her. And in many ways, Lord, you have done that for her spiritual heart, obviously, and her emotional heart. But Lord, I would pray for her physical body, that you would touch her. So it will be a, a witness and a testimony to you. But Lord, also at the same time, thank you for the faith that Julie and John have in you, that no matter what, no matter the circumstances you place them in, they are going to be faithful to you and love you and love their children. And I pray for the listeners, Lord, if they're going through something difficult, it may not be um, their heart physically, it might be something else. I pray, Lord, that um, you would bring comfort to them and that you would also bring an answer to the yearning in their heart. 
as you say, Lord, your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Help us to carry it in that way. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you both for being with us. Thanks for having us. And John and Julie Manning have certainly been um, bringing a message of comfort and trust that that's a reminder to you that God is in the midst of your pain and your struggles. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller. Wow, what a moving testimony from John and Julie Manning. I must say that Julie's confidence in God for what her future holds is truly admirable. As a wife and mom, it's so hard to think of not being there for your children and your husband. But Julie has expressed great faith in the knowledge that God knows the number of our days here on earth and that we can trust him. My heart is Julie's account of her journey from a healthy woman's normal expectations and self-reliance to the surrendering of her dreams, plans, and deepest desires into the hands of our unchanging God. Julie's story speaks realistic hope into your own story. It's what her heart would like to say to you about the faithful, loving, impeccably trustworthy heart of God. You can get your copy when you shop online at safamily.co.za or by giving us a call on 031-716-3300. And if you haven't browsed through our Christmas catalogue online, please have a look at that for some amazing specials on a range of wonderful resources. I want to thank you for joining us today. I'm Alison Schnell for Focus on the Family Africa, inviting you back next time when we'll once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.